The Money Show. Shapeshifters. We're now joined by the CEO at Standard Chartered Bank Southern Africa, Kweku Bedu Adu. Uh, welcome to The Money Show, sir. Hi, Kweku. Hi. Ah, I've you got you there. I've got you loud and clear. Can you hear me? Yes, loud and clear. Let me welcome you again to The Money Show as part of our Shapeshifter feature today. Let's first start as a young man growing up in Ghana. What were some of your ambitions? I mean, as we grow up as young men, some of us want to be policemen, firemen, teachers. What was that career that you were thinking about before you even thought about stepping into the banking world? (laughs) Thank you for that. Well, my parents tell me that as a toddler, I wanted to drive a tipper truck uh, because I was so fascinated by the by the buckets and how they tilted and everything. But on a more serious note, I, I, I didn't start my career in banking or in the private sector. Um, <clears throat> the early day, the, my first decade was almost of my first decade was in the public sector where I worked in the finance ministry, the equivalent of the national treasury in South Africa. So I worked in the finance ministry in Ghana. Um, I only did my shift to the private sector or the corporate world after graduate school. And that's where I made my move to the corporate world. And before we get to that, what kind of Ghana were you growing up in? Uh, you know, were there ambitions, um, you know, by the youth there to say, I want to go work overseas or I want to serve my country? What was the mood then in the country as you were growing up? Um, we, we grew up at a time where the country went through its worst patch after independence. This was around the time Ghana was about 25 to 30 years old. Um, where there was near collapse of the economy. So we had a front seat in seeing uh, the very painful structural adjustment process. Uh, We were students at the time. We bore the brunt of the difficulties, the challenges. And when I started working, ironically, I was working with the decision makers I used to see in the news. Um, I was working with them very closely. So I got another front seat or front row seat in terms of economic management, managing through an economic crisis, the difficult decisions that need to be taken, policy reforms, and everything. So that's how it was for us. I think our generation was also the transitional generation from analog to to the digital world. So we saw both worlds where we used to have typists and a typing pool and typewriters, Oliverti typewriters, and then the transition to PCs where at first only the bosses had PCs on their desk, but they never touched it, right through to what we have today. So my generation saw that transition. And then you enter the public sector as you start to work. Uh, what's your first job in the public sector and what did you learn uh, from being on the other side of the spectrum? Um, it's a lot of work. It requires a lot of dedication. Um, it requires a lot of giving without a commensurate compensation, but you learn a lot. And I think my career trajectory in the corporate world, I owe a lot to the years I spent in the public sector and what I learned and the network I built and 
the knowledge base I gained. That helped me immensely once I transitioned into the corporate world. And what lured you into the corporate world? Because you were a public servant helping the people of Ghana. Um, like you saying, it was a lot of work. But then what makes you decide, I should actually go through to the private sector and see what I can become there? So I, I, my, my foray into the private sector was out of genuine curiosity in terms of trying to find out how does society create value? How does society create wealth? That's the only motivation that led me into the private sector, into the banking sector. Otherwise, I really enjoyed the work I did in the public sector. But there was some curiosity to find out how does, why are some societies so successful and why do other societies struggle? And at the crux of it is that society's ability to create wealth and distribute it properly. So, it was to satisfy that curiosity that I joined the private sector and I chose a platform like Standard Chartered Bank, which was it's an emerging market bank. So it was, yeah, they were a premium employer in, in Ghana at the time. Yeah. And I, 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 I just walked in and I got a job. It was a cold call, actually. And how different was the pace? Uh, I, I, I know you say now it was a cold call. Did you have to sell yourself? Well, I just described my background and the HR head at the time said, okay, come in for a chat. Um, and I just decided, okay, why don't I just drop my CV uh, so that she knows who I am uh, before we have the chat. But the next moment I got a call that the boss wanted to talk to me and the rest is history. And what are some of those key lessons that you've picked up at Standard Chartered and some of the private sector um, you know, uh, workplaces that you've been in uh, that was different from maybe the public sector? Well, it's, it's the attention to value creation, sensitivity to uh, creating shareholder return, managing cost efficiently, um, respecting that it's other people's funds, um, the biggest thing I've learned is risk management, managing various risks. You know, in the emerging markets and frontier markets, there are a lot of moving risks. Um, one of the things that I've learned a lot is how to manage those risks in such a way that you don't lose money for your shareholders and for your depositors. But at the end of the day, it's depositors' money. And let's talk about Africa then as, as a market that has a lot of risk. I mean, if you look at, at different ends of people that don't have access to a technology and can't be uh, banking like, you know, the rest of the world is right now. And then you have young people that, uh, you know, mo- make up most of the population on the continent that actually are sev- tech savvy. So how do you satisfy all those customers as, as you lead uh, standard chartered? Well, fortunately, the advent of the digital um, world makes banking, the banking proposition, is, is, it's easier to, to um, spread the benefit of banking. In other words, it makes mass banking uh, more viable, economically viable. You don't need brick and mortar to do that. And you can bank the unbanked uh, through the, the channel of mobile banking. Um, and it's ubiquitous. You can access it from anywhere in the world so far as you have access to Internet. So those are great uh, technology 
advances. That makes it possible now to reach people who previously were unbanked, people at the bottom of the pyramid. I must say that in South Africa this year, we are launching Women in Technology, which is an initiative to lift participation in people who have not been participating in their formal economy around the world, in the markets that we are represented in. This year, we're going to invest in women in technology in South Africa, and I'm very proud to announce it on your platform. And let's get into that uh, reimagining Africa. Um, you know, you you have this uh, podcast that you've you've started, and and you speaking to different, um, you know, tastemakers on the continent on how we can reindustrialize and reimagine Africa. According to you, um, how is that future possible? Well, it's possible because unlike when African countries started having independence, starting with my own country in 1957. We didn't have the benefit of knowledge, right? We didn't have the benefit of hindsight. After six decades, I think we have the benefit of knowledge and hindsight to do things better, to do things properly, and to reimagine how we want this, this, this continent to be and how we want Africans to ex- experience their home continent. And that's a challenge for policymakers, for business leaders, for community leaders, for civic groups, to all come together and reimagine what is it really you want this continent to be like? How do we want its inhabitants, the over a billion inhabitants on the continent, how do we want them to feel? What kind of lifestyle do we want them to live? And are we on track to do that? We have the benefit of hindsight. We have the benefit of experience. We know what works and we know what definitely doesn't work. It's time to perhaps put the theater of politics aside and get serious and reimagine this continent and work assiduously towards it. We are the only continent that is lagging behind. We only contribute 3% to global GDP, and that should be a source of worry to anyone who calls Africa home. It is a worry, but it can also be a great challenge for us and a great goal to reach as a continent. How do you see then the networks connecting between different markets? I mean, you've led uh, Standard Chartered in West Africa and now you're leading it in South Africa. How can we make sure that we break down the borders and make sure that Africa uh, connects and uh, trades with each other? I think it all starts with movement of people uh, trading with each other. I think... When I sit back, I think we're on the right track. It, 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 it's, you know, development is slow, and sometimes we are all in a hurry and hasty. But some of the positive signs that I see is culture, you know, cultural exchange. I know that um, South African music and West African music have started cultural exchanges and testing various concepts, and it's popular. And, you know, it, it all starts with culture. And gradually, culture opens up to trade. If you look at European history, Europe's takeoff, the Industrial Revolution, was preceded by the Cultural Revolution, the Cultural Renaissance. So, in a way, I think it's happening, but we want to see it happen faster. And the integration of the continent in terms of not just culture, but trade as well, and trading between the continent uh, would be at a lower cost, hopefully, and that would make people thrive. Businesses will thrive, value will be created, and it trickles down to the ordinary citizens like you and I.
Well, the continent's main challenges has always been leadership. Uh, you know, what kind of leadership do you think the continent needs in terms of leading us to that future that you're talking about, where we're well connected, we trade with each other, and we make sure that we advance and contribute more in terms of GDP to the rest of the world? Well, it calls for bold leadership. Change is not comfortable. And so I think that there will be resistance to people who come in and want to change the status quo and take us on a new trajectory. That is to be expected. But I also think that when you explain your actions to the electorate, to the population, um, even if it's uncomfortable, at some point they'll realize that you mean well. And once you get your your buy-in, you can move more swiftly. But I think that if we continue along this trajectory, it's going to take a very long time to create the needed wealth and, and value to improve the lot of the ordinary African. So it needs bold leadership. It needs imaginative leadership. It needs collaboration. It can't be only people who have been elected into government who have the best ideas. So it needs collaboration to co-create Africa's future. And to co-create Africa's future, you need to involve the various generations, from the very young to the very old. Um, Everybody can contribute to make the transformation of the continent move at a faster pace. And, you know, Africa sometimes seems to lurch on from crisis to crisis. But what do you feel is the opportunity for the continent going forward? Yes, there are risks. Yes, we are in different crises on the continent. But what do you think is the green shoot that will take uh, Africa forward? The green shoot is its young population. I have a lot of hope in that the next generation. Um, That's one. Um, We also have, we are very well resourced. Um, we also have, we are uniquely placed to take advantage of uh, clean energy, uh, solar energy, to drive growth and industrialization. But I also think that we need to pay more attention to science and technology. We need to encourage STEM uh, subjects in our schools and make them popular and make people want to contribute to um, science and technology and research. We need to make use of our of our research and intellectuals better, um, and not scoff at intellectuals because they do add value. And um, you also need a generation of entrepreneurs, yeah. people who know how to take risk with other people's money and their own money. It is it is a unique skill, and not everybody is blessed with that skill. And you need to hold those kind of people. Um, gingerly yeah. and support them and it all boils down to co-creating the future as equal partners around the table it shouldn't be just the political class or the business elite we can co-create a future listening to everybody listening to various stakeholders yeah plotting, plotting the future of this continent and that was our shapeshifter tonight, the CEO at Standard Chartered Bank Southern Africa, Kweku Bedu Adu, uh, giving us uh, some pointers in how we can lead Africa into the future.